Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. We're finally coming to the end of our 32-part series uh, on reform. What does it mean? And uh, the first two messages that we did last few weeks was on the end times. So we've been talking about how do we, who have this kind of theology, this kind of view of God, how do we see the end? How do we connect Christ-centeredness, reformed, whatever, with the end? And the first two were very much uh, focused on what we believe. So it was very like big, hey, this is how we connect, how we see the end with our view of Christ and salvation. Um, but now we're landing the plane, and we want to talk more about how we act in light of what we believe about the end. So I don't have a, a very intricate uh, intro because I feel like this is a, just the, the tail end of two other parts. So just we're saying, what do we do in light of what we believe about the end? And if you want to see the uh, table of contents, the first point I'm going to say is that we, we see our Christian life continuing through the end, not ending. So what we do as Christians doesn't end in the end, it continues through the end. So I say continuative, not destructive. Number two, we are about the already and yet we are about the yet to be. So Christians, we live in this weird world where we have this alreadiness of what we have in Christ, but there's this not yet. So we're in the middle of these two worlds. Third thing is we are about holiness, not headlines. And I'll explain what that means. Fourth, we are about basic humanity, not super spirituality. So to be, see the end rightly, we are about simple humanity, not super spirituality. You'd be like, these points sound really strange. Well, I'll, I'll explain them to you. And lastly, we are about the normal, not the emergency. We are about the normal, not the emergency. So you think, how do I live my life in light of the end? Here's what it looks like. And let me, let me pray before I get into it, because I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. Father, we have confessed today that you are three and you are one. So Father, I pray that in and through Jesus Christ's work thousands of years ago, that is made available to me and us by the Holy Spirit now, that we would be able to worship you, Father, through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. We're not here to uh, have a pep talk so that we can have a better week. God, we're here because you're the point. You are the reason. You are the subject. You are it. And we need you to be the man, the many Three on one of this hour. We need you to be the subject in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, please give us a capacity to see you as a center of everything as we hear this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So first thing about how we live our lives and see it. We are about life continuing through the end, not just ending in the end. Let me read a text for you that may help. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day, that last day, will disclose it and will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. Now, this is not the judgment of salvation. This is the judgment of the redeemed. Okay? The judgment of the redeemed. Our, our redemptive judgment has already passed over us because of Christ's works for us. This is another kind of judgment. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. 
But anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, but it will be like an escape through fire. So, so Paul is saying that in the end, God is going to see your life that was Christ-centered, and all your Christ-centered works are going to follow you in eternity, and you're going to enjoy them with Christ. And the things that you have done that are not about Christ, through Christ, for Christ, are just going to be a big pile of smoke and ashes. Make sense? So only what you do in this life that is from Christ-centered motivations will follow you in eternity. Everything else will not. So let me read another text. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So the Corinthians are saying, listen, the fact that God is going to raise us physically as he's raised us spiritually means that nothing you do as a Christian is in vain. You will, it will follow you into eternity forever. Now, let me, let me give an illustration that may help uh, us get us into this conversation. Do you spend a lot of time uh, investing in doing things in a place that you rent compared to a house? My, my suspicion is that you would not do a lot in your rented place because you're not, you don't know how long you're going to be there. You, you know, in Miami, they may raise your rent next week and you can't live there no more. But y'all laughing. You can kicked out? All right, whatever. But if you purchase a home, you purchase a home, you do a lot more things because you know the longevity of that situation. And, and here's what, what, what I want to get at is, is we think, <laughs> we act like, beloved, if we're honest with ourselves and we get underneath all of our Christian blah, 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 if we're honest with ourselves, we act like the eternal things are not the Christ-explicit-centered things. And so we spend all of our time acting like the things that we do that are not really connected to Jesus and because of Jesus and motivated by Christ are going to be like the permanent house. But in actuality, the things that we do that are not explicitly Christ-motivated and Christ-centered are like the rented house. They're temporary. They're not going to follow you into eternity. And so we, we think that the things that we're building in this life that have nothing to do with these Christ-centered motivations are going to follow us into eternity. In actuality, they're not. Paul is saying that at the end of your life, there's going to be a big pile of smoke and ashes. So you know a lot of times, uh, I, I was in seminary one time, um, and this, 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 this pastor got up and he says, there's so many ministries that look so impressive and they have so much stuff, but at the end, it's just going to be a big, huge pile of smoke and ashes because it was not about Christ. It was not through Christ. It was not for Christ. If Jesus is the only one who defines eternity, who creates eternity, that means that only things that will last are things that are attached to him. So imagine this. I mean, just imagine how you think about your time. If everything you do that is not Christ-motivated, Christ-centered, will be nothing more than a pile of smoke and ashes. I mean, it just changes things. So listen, our life now as Christians, it actually matters. Everything you do as a Christian has eternal significance or not. It's not that we're just living this life and then the end comes and then kind of like there's just like this massive disconnect. There is, there is this long-standing connection where your life now has eternal significance. So just think about it. The, the smallest thing you do for Jesus because of Jesus will follow you forever. And the biggest thing you do because of yourself, not Jesus, will not go anywhere in eternity. Make sense? 
So uh, we see the end as continuing on, specifically as it relates to Christ-centeredness. So that's a very important part of how we see the end and live in light of the end. Second thing, and this is very important, and I have to go to Romans. It's about the already and still yet the yet to be. The already and still the yet to be. Let me read a text that will help. Romans 8.18 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So there's a lot of bad happening now, Paul is saying. But there is something really, 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 really great that awaits us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. So the whole world, metaphorically speaking, is anticipating when we will be resurrected perfectly and everything will be right. But how is it now? For the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we are saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope. So Paul is saying we are a part of the new creation now. Now you have been redeemed and restored to God. Now you have entered into that future newness, but now it's also not yet, so it's still broken. We live in this weird intersection where we're a part of what God is doing in the future. We participate in it. But yet we're still a part of this incomplete, broken world. And here's, it's kind of like, a, you know how kids are? Before they have uh, their inheritance from their parents, they have everything. But yet still, they live very poor in the present. They don't have their inheritance yet, right? They have everything, but in the present, they kind of still look like broke people because it's not time yet. Make sense? That's us. We have everything in Christ already, but right now it doesn't look like that. And this is so important, beloved. You know why? Because we as Christians, we're so miserable because we think that the, all, that the not yet should be in the now. So I should have all the joy of the gospel now. So when I'm not 100% joyous, I'm miserable. I should have all the holiness and godliness that I will have in the future now. So in the present, I'm, I'm very, very, very unsatisfied, and I must have this perfect holiness, this perfect Christianity that's in the future now. I must have this joy that's in the future now. My marriage, <laughs> my marriage should be like the not yet now. So I get that Christ has come into the marriage, and there's, things are different, but I want the not yet to be into the now now. I don't want to wait for that. I want to live with a husband who is glorified now, even though he's not. You know what I'm talking about? You husband should be nodding your heads. Wife should be nodding your heads. You want the not yet to be the now, but it's not. The now is not the not yet yet. <laughs> or if you're in certain worlds, you want all the healing that comes in the end in the now. You refuse to be sick now. Now, that's, that's not how we are. Here, but we know in the, in the now, people will be sick. In the not yet, people will never be sick. But in the now, we will be sick. 
and maybe we'll be healed or not, but we're in the already, and the not yet, or, you know, maybe some, in the millennial kind of Christian crowd, we think because the kingdom has come in the present, that there should be no injustice, there should be no violence, there should be no unfairness, we should have all of the already, all of the not yet in the now. But Paul is saying we live in this really weird place where we have something of the future and the present, but we don't have all of it yet. Christ has accomplished something which has given us now presently everything in Christ that is coming to us, but we will not experience it until then. So for now, it will be very necessarily disappointing. It's just how it is. You want to make your Christian life miserable? Then try to make the now the not yet. The very easiest way to be most discouraged all the time because you think that we're supposed to somehow, (laughs) we're supposed to somehow bring in the reality of the future fully in the present. But we are in this weird already and not yet. We have something, but we don't have something in full. Make sense? Am I talking Dr. Seuss up here? Come on, give me some nods or some yeses or noes. All right. So first thing, our life goes on in Christ. It doesn't end the things that we do. Second thing, we're in this weird tension of already and not yet. So life is new and different and great, but it's bad and screwed up and broken. We're in those things. Thirdly, the end is about holiness, not headlines. Holiness, not headlines. Look what it says in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works will be disclosed. So the earth, the earth is going to end entirely, comprehensively dissolved. What do we do? Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. What happens when we think about the end as Christians? All we ever focus about is the details of the, of the end. We focus about the news and the signs and how to hide and get safe and what is the code and what is the Antichrist, right? Every year there's some new wacko who says it's the end, right? And he's always wrong. And, but what is interesting to me is to see how Christians act in light of this news. Peter is saying, listen, the end should bring you to be most concerned with being consecrated to God in holiness. Faith-fueled, grace-driven, divine holiness. That's to be the biggest concern. Uh, here's, a, here's a picture that I think is helpful. Remember, uh, remember the, the, the Titanic movie? <laughs> remember the end? What was going on in the end when the, when the, when the ship was sinking? The people were trying to keep their stuff. Remember? They were trying to keep their stuff and... And then some people were, uh, they were trying to, uh, they, were, they were playing music. So the boat is going down, and people are still holding on to their stuff, and they're playing their instruments. Now, wh- what were the smart people doing? They were going to the boats, because the boats were going to outlast the, the end, right? Um, Beloved, that's, that's kind of the picture I want you to see. Um, God wants us to be holding on to things that will be eternally significant, namely Christ and life in Christ, and not be playing the tune and hold on to the things of the sinking boat. 
Make sense? Do you, do you, I mean, do you, do you remember how silly those people looked playing the, 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 the instrument when the boat was going down? Beloved, that's you. That's you. That's, that's you looking at yourself on a normal basis. That's the normal Christian picking up the instruments of the now, of the sinking ship, instead of grabbing onto the lifeboat of the eternal, which is Christ for us. So let me give you some, some practical, uh, somewhat practical, like, ways of what that looks like. So listen, if God is coming to the end to destroy the false worship of family worship, worship of family, worship of money, worship of career, worship of houses, um, then we shouldn't be clinging to those things. We should be clinging to not the worship of our families, but the worship of God's celestial family, Father, Son, and Spirit. We shouldn't be clinging to our money. We should be clinging to the ransom price of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be clinging to... um, our houses, we should be clinging to what Christ has produced and created for us, correct? We, we shouldn't be picking up those instruments, right? Let me give me some more practical applications. If God is coming to judge pride and performance, looks and body and achievements, we shouldn't be clinging to and trusting performance, pride, and bodily pride and achievements. We should be clinging to and trusting the performance of Jesus, not the performance of our body, the performance of our life. We should be looking to the crucified body of Jesus, not to clinging to the worship of our bodies. We should be looking to the achievements of Christ where, where he lived a big enough life to give you credit to live our eternal life, where he, he died on the cross for your sinfulness, we should be clinging to the lifeboat of the achievements and performance and grandness of Christ, not holding on to and playing the tune of all these things that are sinking. I mean, just, just think about the band as you think about it. Look, if God is coming to judge and end selfishness, we shouldn't be clinging and playing the tomb of selfishness. We should be clinging to the selfless life of Christ for us where it leads us to and clinging to his selflessness to no longer live selfish lives because that stuff is just going down. It's just going down. Do you want me to get in your kitchen in a few more places? I think I should. If God is coming to destroy sexual sin and perversion, we shouldn't be playing that tune either as Christians. We shouldn't be clinging to misusing people for our own purposes. We should be clinging to having intimate communion with Christ in such a way that we have what we need by pursuing and being pursued by Christ, that we no longer use people in an inappropriate way, but we, we serve them because we, we shouldn't be picking up the tune of the things that God is coming to destroy. Correct? You know, if if God is coming to end lust for power and prominence and uniqueness, you know that? He's coming to destroy worship for power and prominence and uniqueness. We shouldn't be playing that tune. We should be clinging to the power of the gospel and Christ's weakness, the prominence of Christ for us, the uniqueness of Christ and who we are in Christ because of Christ, we should be clinging to that, not playing the tune of those things which God is coming to end very soon. 
Correct? It just makes very much sense. Beloved, put down the instruments of the sinking ship, okay? And lay hold of the longevity of the lifeboat of who you are in Christ and live in light of that lifeboat faith that changes and transforms you, not to live for things that are going to be judged and end very soon. I feel like we spend so much time trying to make the most so we know, look, we know the boat's going down, but this is what we like. Like, I just want to pick up the instrument for like, like a half hour, right? And then I'm going to go back to the lifeboats. Don't even bother. Everything in this life that is not about the glory of God in Christ will end. So let's put down the instruments and cling to that which is truly, wonderfully, enjoyably everlasting. Not, you, see, you see the difference? When, when, when we're seeing the end as an opportunity to lay hold of Christ and live in Christ and not get lost up in all these codes and antichrist and all this weird confusion and chaos, it's different. So the end, beloved, is about holiness, not headlines. Fourthly, I'm getting very close to the end. This is, so what, I, what I've tried to do before, instead of having hour-long sermons, I've made like, you've noticed my part, I've been having part one, part two, part three. That's, that's my attempt at preaching everything I want to say, uh, but not doing it so much at one time. So anyways, all right. Fourthly, the end leads us to see life in the normal, I'm sorry, humanity. We embrace our humanity. We don't have a super spirituality. We embrace our humanity, not a super spirituality. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good is that to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You hear what Paul just said? If we don't have a bodily resurrection, let's just be pagans and live it up. That's strong language. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. So let me explain what's going on here. Um, the Corinthians were too spiritual to be Christians. They're like, Jesus has rescued our souls and our spirits, and that's it. Body doesn't matter. Body's bad. Earth is bad. Physical things are bad. So in the end, uh, we're just going to keep going on, and, and we're, we're going to be like playing harps in our spirit bodies and our, and our spiritual, you know, floaty things in heaven. So they were, they, were, they were embracing the thinking of the culture about the end. And Paul says, listen. You're going to be raised bodily in the end. In the end, you're going to actually be physically raised. So that means that everything about your physical life matters now. If you're going to be raised bodily in the end, then everything about your physical life actually matters to God. As opposed to, oh, here's what it looks like in Miami, okay? Let me get in your kitchens again. I only get in your kitchen because I want you to, I want you to trust and love Jesus, all right? I'm not picking on you. So this, this is what it looks like. My spirit is the Lord's. My spirit is the Lord, but I can, my sexuality doesn't matter because it's a physical thing. So I, I, I carry my sexuality in an unbiblical way, but it doesn't matter because my heart is the Lord's. You ever heard that? You ever said that? All right, here's, a, here's a few other examples. Uh, my spirit is the Lord, so how God made men and women different doesn't really matter. Because my, our spirit is the Lord's and we're all spiritual, so 
things about men and women in creation, how they differ and how God made them different, it doesn't really matter. Or here's another one. Like, my spirit is the Lord's, um, but I just trash my body and I indulge in food. But it doesn't matter because I'm a spiritual person and my body doesn't matter. So I just do whatever I want in my body. You know what I'm talking about? Am I starting to make more sense? <laughs> or, or, or here's another one. My spirit, is, my spirit is the Lord's, so how I act in my parenting and my marriage doesn't matter because I'm spiritual. You know, marriage, that's like, a, that's like a physical thing, a creaturely thing. Parenting, so, so, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm so in love with Jesus. Oh, he's so amazing. But I make no connection in my physical created marriage. No connection with me parenting my kids. Now I'm making sense. You know where that comes from? It comes from this idea that we don't see our whole body lives being raised in the end and meaning that everything physical about creation matters. Your job, how you live in your job matters. How you use your money matters. How you manage your time matters because you will be raised comprehensively. So that means everything in your physical life matters to God. As opposed to having this weird, mystic soul thing with Jesus that is connected from creation. I feel like it's extra quiet in here today. It's a little extra quiet. Let, let, let me continue this point, all right? So some people, they're so spiritual that they misuse and abuse creation. But here's how other people do it. They're so spiritual and because they don't see that God's resur- God raising our bodies in Christ makes everything physical important. They're so spiritual. They don't, they don't abuse creation. They avoid it. Now you know who I'm talking about? It's the people that think that they're more spiritual because they go on diets and they don't eat certain foods. It's the people that think they're more spiritual, so they kind of have this, I know I'm supposed to have sex with my spouse as a Christian, but it's kind of yucky because, you know, what God is doing in redemption, he's kind of moved me away from creaturely things, not into them. Or it looks like this, you know, like, because I'm so spiritual, I don't drink. Now, I'm not talking about people that have, like, a past of drinking, and they struggle with that. I'm talking about people that think, because they don't have alcohol, that they're more spiritual. They avoid creation. I don't go out. I don't go to beaches. I don't do this. So, so my, I, I see creation as bad. So I think that the solution to my Christian life is to avoid created things and not engage in creation. I don't have relationships with people. I don't have relationships with lost people. I'm just so spiritual that I'm disconnected and avoiding things in creation. And Paul is saying, you being raised in the end physically kind of negates that whole logic. Okay, God is not about making us so spiritual that we separate from creation. God is about making us spiritual, so now we use creation differently. I eat food, but now it's not, it's the glory of God. That's Paul's point, uh, you know, about how it, I, everything is, everything is uh, lawful for me, but not everything is profitable. I won't be mastered by anything. So, If I decide to eat or drink, I do it differently. I enjoy creation differently. I have sex differently. I have relationships differently. I go out differently. I enjoy and have leisure and and, and have fun differently. But I don't think that that what God is doing is removing me away from creation because I'm so spiritual. Make sense? If I'm going to be raised one day physically, that means that my spirituality is very much in a creaturely existence as opposed to avoiding things. It matters, beloved, because we're being raised. And now life is not about 
Jesus is not about us becoming so spiritual that we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't eat this, we don't touch it. It's now that everything's different because we've been loved by Christ, made lovers of Christ, and we enjoy Christ, and now I'm in this creaturely existence differently. You know, you know why people avoid external things in creation to become spiritual? Because you don't need Jesus to do that. You don't need Jesus to not, have, not, not eat, drink, and, and, do all, and, and go out. You can do that by yourself. Mormons do that. They don't have Jesus. But for you to live in creation, have money, eat and drink or do whatever, go out, and to do that in a godly way, you need Jesus. <laughs> it's very simple and very humanistically sustainable for us to just see our spirituality and just avoiding things, avoiding, you know, people say, I don't want to. I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, I don't, want to, I don't want to have a job that makes good money. No, no, no. God, because he's restoring creation in our bodies, means that God is calling us, in light of the end, to live in a very creaturely normal experience and not abuse creation because it doesn't matter or separate from creation because it doesn't matter. Make sense? All right. So I have one more point before I go heavily into some application. One more point, and that is the end is about normality, normal things, not emergencies. Normality is not emergencies. I got ice chunks in here, so it sounds really noisy. Sorry. All right, 2 Thessalonians 3.9. It's not that we don't have the right to support, but we did make it ourselves an example to you so that you might imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone's not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. For I hear there's some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interested, interfering in the work of others. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working, they may eat their own food. <laughs> so check it out. This is what's going on in the Thessalonian church. The end is coming. All right. We got to wait for the end. And people weren't working. They weren't doing normal things. And Paul's like, the end is coming, you should do normal things. You should do tangible, normal, basic, loving, obscure things in light of the end. Not like, oh, the end is coming, I can't work, I can't do this. That's what he's addressing. Now, let me give you two pictures that may help you illustrate what I'm saying. One person is taking a test. And because passing the test is the most important thing, it's the most significant thing, their whole normal life is suspended until they take that test, all right? Are you that person? We, 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 the test is so definitive of our reality. The, the, passing the test so means something to me. It so completes me that life, normal life is suspended in order for me to take that test. The other person taking a test... But the test is not so much more about being proven for who I am and mattering, but I just want to do well on the test so I can serve people, I can grow in my craft, and I can, you know, be useful. That person's going to have normal life between the tests. You follow where I'm going with this? Listen, if Jesus already passed the probation test for us, 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the God test meaning that everything that you should be as a human, he did it. He passed the probation test that the first Adam failed, our first rep, 
He met every demand, every standard, every single place where a human from birth to adulthood should have been. He did it. He passed. And now, and on top of that, he not, he not only passed the God test for humanity, for those who are in him, but he died for all of our badness. Every single thing that is bad about you was placed on Christ for you, and he not only passed the test, but he said, give me all the bad marks. Give me all their unrighteousness. Give me all their sin and punish me in their place and satisfy every single ounce of punishment. And then he said, finish, test, done, resurrection, and into heaven. So I see the end not as this anxious thing about how I will prove my existence and define my eternity. Christ has done that. We already talked about that. The end time is about Jesus Christ bringing that final end time judgment into the present where I am not guilty all the way into the end. So now I can do normal things as I wait for the end. I can do normal things. I don't have to have this anxiety to always be being enough, doing enough, spectacular things so that I can be enough. No, Christ met those things. So now I can, I can be normal in light of the end. I like what Luther said. If I knew the end was happening tomorrow, I would plant a tree. How could you say that? Plant a tree? Because he's been defined already by someone big enough to let him live a normal life in the face of the end because the end is not about him proving himself ultimately. You can love neighbor, love each other because we don't see the end that way. So let me go back. And just recycle some points of application. Some points of application. The already not yet means, beloved, that we should be content with the present, our present discontent. We should be content with our present discontent. So you know how, like, you feel unsatisfied with your Christian life. You feel unsatisfied with your marriage. You feel unsatisfied with your health. You feel unsatisfied with things in the news. You feel unsatisfied with politics. You feel unsatisfied with your neighbor. It's okay. Why? Because we live in the already, but the not yet. Some of you, you're so miserable. You are so miserable because you want to fix everything that's wrong in your life and around you. And you think if you could fix everything about everyone, that you would be able to have some sort of, ah, but we're in the already, not the not yet. That's not happening. So we can be content with things not being very lovely. But the now, beloved, listen, the now protects us from the apathy of thinking that nothing should change in the present. So we're, we're not in the not yet, but we're in the now, Right? So this is what I hear people say all the time. Oh, this is, I've always been this kind of a man. I've always been this kind of a husband, and I'm not going to change. That's just who I am. I've always had this kind of lifestyle. Or I've always been in this kind of... No, no, no. The now means that the power of the new age, the power of the new life in Christ, has invaded your presence. So that means that now you can actually be a different husband. And not say, well, I'm not glorified yet, so I'm just... You can actually be a different 
friend, a different Christian, a different dad, a different worker because the power of the new age is now invading your presence. So there is some space there. There's no room for us to be apathetic. Okay? But because we're not in the not yet yet, we can be gracious and patient with the disappointments of the now. Make sense? We can be hopeful, but we can be gracious and patient. You know, some people be like, man, I've been discipling this person. I've been walking with this husband, and they still sin. What do I do? They're not glorified. They will not be glorified until they're dead. So now you keep imperfectly enjoying some of the freedoms of the now, but you don't feel like you have to get to some point of arrival. So the now gives us some hope to have some space in the present, but the not yet keeps us from becoming uh, impatient and, 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 and dissatisfied. And we can be hopeful that things will ultimately be better. Listen, beloved, God not giving you the amount of, of kingdom, power, and freedom, and fruitfulness, him saying no to that now is him saying, look, it, I love you, it'll be later. You will have that joy that you really want later. I'm not depriving you of it. It will just be later, my beloved. That kind of marriage that you want, where your son, your husband or your wife always is the respectful, sacrificial person, I'm not saying no to that God saying. I'm just saying later in the not yet. So God's no to the now not being what it should be is him just saying, just wait. So my kids, just wait. Eventually you won't be broke. You'll have all of Papa's money if I had money. So another thing, giving some application. If the end is about um, continuation, not destruction. Beloved, we should be the most active people on the planet for Jesus. We should be the most, because we know, we know that the things that we are doing have eternal significance. Let me give you a, a picture that may be helpful. You know how, like, your kids do something small, and you, and you record it, and you, and you memorialize it, and then, like, years later, you're, like, you're, you're enjoying it with them? Make sense? Listen, your dad in heaven is going to be saying, remember that? Forever and ever, the things that you have done with Christian motivations for Christ, he's always going to be celebrating the dad things that you did in faith. So if this really is what eternity is going through, this is really what I have, we should be so active for Christ. Because I know I'm actually putting time, energy, and effort and things that will follow me forever and everything else won't. Don't, don't, don't we as humans feel this necessity to do things that will matter and not just fall on their faces? Right? In Christ, in glory, this is what we have. And it makes us able to love people. I can't love you if I don't have this thinking in my Christianity. Let me, let me tell you why. Because I need you to give me something in the now in order for me to feel like I should do this now. I need you to validate me as a man, as a pastor, as a husband to my wife. You got to, I'm doing this, now I need something with you, with you now. And if I don't get what I want from you because I'm, you're not responding to me the way I want you to respond, I can't love you, I can only use you. 
But check this out. If God the Father is calculating and enjoying and storing up all these, all the things his little children are doing, man, I don't, who cares about you? God sees it, and me and him will enjoy it forever. So you know what? This church could look like this. It could look like that. My ministry could be successful. It could be not successful. But man, me and dad going to be celebrating this forever. So in the meantime, I can love you and serve you and not use you to get some sort of thing that I have with God in eternity. Oh, man, this is powerful. This is powerful. We are the most ridiculous, confused people if we're living and loving and doing Christian things because we want some immediate return. That's what Paul says. But if we have reason to realize that our investment in the glory of the gospel and in Christ has eternal significance, man, activity is very, very needed. So holiness, not headlines, giving more application. Beloved, we should be reflective people not automatic ones. You know what I think we are as people? We just naturally are just picking up the instruments. We're just naturally playing the tunes of the sinking ship. And we're thinking like, oh man, am I really happy? You know, is, is my marriage, you know, is my, is my finances this way? You know, is, is my personal life this way? And, 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 and you know, it, uh, those things don't matter. Think about the tune you're playing. Think about the tune you're playing and realize that only things that matter are things that won't end, lifestyles and things and concerns that won't end in the end. It just, it just helps me. I mean, would you, look, if you knew, if you knew that you bought a house that was going to be destroyed in two weeks, would you, would you buy the house? Would you spend any time in that house? No, right? Why do we do that with things that have nothing to do with God's kingdom? We stay there working on We know it's not going nowhere. We know it's going to, but man, I'm going to make this thing a bomb for two weeks. No, beloved, but think about what we're doing, evaluate what we're doing, and let's think about what tune we are playing. Playing. Humanity, not super spirituality, means, but beloved, we should be embodied people who see our spirituality just as much as our bodies and physical life as we do with our souls. We should, if, if we're being raised in the end, then we should see our spirituality just as much in physical things, in our sexuality, in our work, in our money, in our time, in our marriage, in our relationships. We should see it just as significant as things that you don't see. Because the end has taken us to a new creation restored, not some sort of spiritual discombobulated thing. So everything physically matters. And let me tell you something very, very, very practical. Some of us deny this in the way we love each other. What I mean by this is usually we don't, you know what's interesting when, when James is talking about how, how Christians should really value the Christianity? He says, when your brother has regular needs, just meet them. So we're so spiritual that we're always, we're, we're always giving people Bible. Bible, 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 Bible. And we're never thinking, man, the, the physical world matters. Creation matters. I need to actually do practical, tangible things for my brother's life. Like, actually help him tangibly in his actual physical life because the resurrection. So if, if we're going to a resurrected physicality, then I should be showing ta- tangible, 
practical, actual mercy to human beings made in God's image, particularly my brothers. Right? Because that's where we're going in the end. We shouldn't be people who abuse creation nor avoid creation. We shouldn't be people who abuse creation because it doesn't matter or avoid creation because it doesn't matter. Let me say a few more points of application. Normality, not emergency, means that, look, if we have been already proven eternally, already been given that verdict, we've already passed the bar of God's holiness, we've already, we're already there positionally, we're just not there practically, I feel like it frees us to just be simple people who do simple things. Like everyone's always talking about some grand radical calling for God. And maybe instead of doing some grand radical thing for God, maybe you just need to play with your kids more. Maybe instead of taking the world over Jesus or, you know, uh, or, or, or I don't know, or having this massive prayer life, maybe you need to sit down with your kids, sit down with your wife and say, honey, kids, can, 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 can you tell me what's been going on in your, in, your, in, your, in your week? Can you tell me what you've been thinking? How can, I, how can I minister to you? Maybe you think to have, instead of being this great person, maybe you need to just have more conversations and have more play dates. Maybe, maybe, instead of being a pseudo-celebrity, you know, you, know, you know what Facebook has done? It's made us all celebrities. And everything's about making ourselves look amazing and look important and look radical and look whatever. Maybe instead of be trying to pr- pretend you're a pseudo-celebrity, you should call one of your brothers up and see if they would come to your house and you could just act like they matter. Why? Why would we do normal things? Like, why would I not try to be the best me and amazing me and this radical, you know, this? Because Christ has done that. So now I can, like, do simple things like call someone up and say, hey, brother, you want to go to coffee? You want to go to my house? So I can act like you matter because I don't, I don't need to prove myself by being a pseudo-cerebrally? I'm going I'm to stay here a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Maybe instead of dreaming for the next big thing, you know, we're always, it's always the next big thing, the next big job, the next big thing. Maybe instead of dreaming about the next big thing, you should just think about ways to love an unbeliever in your life very practically. I don't mean like, oh, I got to go and give him the gospel presentation. Maybe, maybe you just need to like ask him if he needs help with his lawn. Simple, normal, basic things in light of being proven so greatly by the work of Christ. Maybe some of us, instead of being so impressed with our preferences, our hobbies, our jobs, need to come home and help our tired wives do simple things. You know what my problem was as a young Christian? I wanted to come home and I wanted to be with Jonathan Edwards. Because, I, man, I, I, I don't got time for, like, you know, picking up stuff in the house. Man, I, I'm, I'm about God. Yeah, man, Edwards and Spurgeon, and I come home and do that for hours, and my wife is exhausted. Man, I'm so important. I need to fill my head with all this big spirituality. But then when I realize that Christ has already proven me, I don't need to have this big theological head. I can go, honey, do you want me to be a normal person and do normal things like pick up and sweep and do dishes? I can do that. You can do that. We don't have to be so important. So amazing, so wonderful. We don't have to go to Africa for Jesus. Everywhere, you know, some, of the, some of the things that frustrates me about this radical Christianity is we have to go do something like that in order to be useful for Jesus. 
But listen, if the gospel has proven us already, I don't have to go to Africa or to some radical place. I can just be intentional in simple ways with people in my life. You know what? It makes me feel more impressive when I go do that stuff. Because I can tell everybody, look, I went to Africa. Look, I went to a mission trip in Haiti. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? There's people in your lives that need basic, simple, normal, neighborly love. People in this church that seem simple, normal, basic, normal love that you can actually be God-centered with because you have been proven by Christ's gospel grace already. So we can live in the normal. The normal one. We don't have to always be doing these impressive things, beloved. And I'll say one more thing about that is, look... You know, you know, you know what? You know the problem with churches a lot of times is we want to make this amazing Sunday experience, right? We're gonna we're gonna rock homestead. We're gonna rock candle by having this amazing Sunday experience. But you, that's not gonna happen. Do you not? Know, if you want to get Christians from other churches, you can do that. But you know how churches are gonna reach unbelievers in the city by doing small, normal, loving things to people in this city, not by having an amazing, wonderful, climactic Sunday morning. So it changes things, beloved. It changes. When we see the end times this way, it just makes things a lot more simple, a lot more basic, a lot more grand in their smallness. So let me, let me pray and just move us to the table. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that because you've been proven by Christ, defined by Christ, redeemed by Christ, reconciled by Christ, made new by Christ, and we've arrived in Christ, Everything in our life matters eternally, Lord. We don't need to waste our time with things that are ending and ceasing. We can enjoy creation rightfully. We don't have to avoid it. We don't have to abuse it, Lord God. And and, and we can just live normal, basic, neighborly, other-oriented lives because we just exist in this canopy of God's grace. So I pray that we would just live in light of the end in a manner that's more consistent with your word. In your name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.